good evening. It is good for us to be together. It is good for us to worship God and lift up our voices and our hearts in praise to him, for he is worthy of all glory and honor that we can give. Our Lord Jesus Christ was very compassionate. And especially that is seen in the scriptures when he saw people hurting, when he saw people who were suffering. For example, in Matthew 9, you are familiar with the occasion when it talks about when he looks out over the crowd or the multitudes that are following him, and it says he had compassion on them because they looked as if they were distressed sheep without a shepherd. On another occasion, in Matthew chapter 14, it talks about his compassion as well on a very specific occasion when you have this very persistent crowd in following Jesus wherever he went. And so they have been with him for quite a while and he knows they have been, they've been without food. And he sees this very persistent crowd. He knows they are hungry And as you know, he ends up feeding that 5,000 miraculously because of the compassion he had on them. In Luke 7, there is a funeral procession that just happened to pass by, or Jesus passes by this funeral procession, and he realizes this is the procession for a widow's only son, her only child, and she's going to be left with no one to care for her. And it says he had compassion on her. In John 11, when he goes to the house of Martha and Mary, the brother has passed away, and he observes the family and the friends and how much they're grieving, and it says Jesus wept. Why is that? Because he had compassion for those individuals. He saw how much they were hurting. If we are going to imitate Jesus Christ, then we must likewise cultivate tender mercies. We also likewise must cultivate kindness for others. As saints of God, we are called to do good. And we're called to do good to all men as we have that opportunity. A benevolent spirit or a benevolent attitude should be core to our being as Christians. It ought to be a core characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. People who are being renewed and transformed, changed altogether from inside outward by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'd like for us to talk a little bit about that tonight, this idea of cultivating a benevolent attitude, a benevolent spirit about us for others. If you looked at the word benevolent or benevolence, you would find these definitions. It is simply a disposition to do good or otherwise. It is the love of mankind with the desire to to promote their well-being or other words like goodwill or kindness or charitableness. In Luke chapter 10, you have recorded for us by the Holy Spirit 
the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the parable, and you know it well. And we recently studied that in our summer Bible series. And you think about that parable, what it's teaching is this idea of a benevolent spirit about us. Now, we're to be like the Good Samaritan. That's the point. We need to have a benevolent attitude. We need to have this disposition toward good, a love for mankind that promotes others' well-being. And if you recall in that story, which I know you can and you do, there is this opportunity that just presents itself to the Samaritan. And it is an opportunity that presents itself seemingly, in my judgment, at a very inopportune moment. But here it is. And the Samaritan sees it. He sees the opportunity. He sees this man on the, on the side of the road who has been robbed and has, has been left there to die. He sees it. And he has mercy on the man. And then what does he do? He acts upon it. He felt compassion and then he shows mercy. Mercy is not just about a feeling you have towards someone. Mercy is something that you do toward other people. And in so doing, what did the Samaritan do? He loved his neighbor. And that was the lesson. The lesson of loving the neighbor is the idea of having compassion for others in times of need, in times of suffering, and when they're hurting. And yes, it may be very inopportune for you, but it is still an opportunity for you to show compassion, to have mercy, and to show that mercy by the things that you do to try to help. We as Christians are commanded to act benevolently. And there's a number of passages you can turn to, and I've selected three very familiar ones. Galatians 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Nothing new to you. And you turn over and you look in James chapter 1, the very last couple of verses there of that first chapter in the inspired book of James. And we are given this instruction and teaching when it says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And so he's going to illustrate, illustrate for us pure and undefiled religion. And he brings up two aspects of that. And he says, one is to visit orphans and widows in the trouble, and two, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Those two things are core components if we're going to be pure in our devotion to God. And so it's very important that as we imitate Jesus Christ, that we imitate his compassion and in turn activate our mercy upon others. One more passage. Over in Romans 12, and you have a number of exhortations in this latter half of the chapter. And very simply, in one of those statements, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Now, there are other passages that probably could come to your mind that could add to the, just to make this point. But that suffices. The fact that we are commanded to act benevolently toward others. 
We are to have this goodwill, this charitableness toward other people, you know, within our family, within our spiritual family, but also outward as well in the world. And this spirit of benevolence, though, is really a heart issue. It's not just about doing something, even though you need to do something, but it really is a heart matter. That's where it really resides. Because good deeds without the right heart is what? Well, we just finished Ecclesiastes, have we not? And, what, and taken from Ecclesiastes, that would be vain. That would have no lasting benefit to ourselves or to others. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, in Paul's admonition to the Corinthians, our saints in the city of Corinth, he says, he says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. So genuine benevolence a spirit of godly benevolence begins with the heart. And really, really with the idea of opening our heart to others. And so we must develop, we must cultivate a heart of love. And I believe you have love for others. But I think all of us have room to grow in that. To have our heart grow and expand in that way. God's people, God's children, are people who practice both righteousness and love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, it says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, and nor the one who does not love his brother. And so the opposite is, if you do love your brother and you do practice righteousness, then you that is evidence that you're being of God. And so you have this idea that God's children are people who practice both righteousness and love because they cannot be righteous without loving, and you are not loving as you ought to love without practicing righteousness. The two are inherently woven together. But look down in the same chapter, 1 John, 1 John, and look at verse 17 and 18. And he asks a question. Whoever has the world's goods, hmm, there's a sister and I this evening, we we're talking about world's goods. Whoever has the world's goods, and what is, he, what is notice what he says, and sees, sees his brother in need and closes his heart, Against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We are not loving, we are not being compassionate, we are not cultivating a benevolent spirit when we close our hearts to the needs of others. Opening the heart, opening our hearts to others makes us vulnerable. To open your heart to someone else, like the man on the road to Jericho, makes you vulnerable. 
And it has a tendency that there is this aptitude about it that you will probably, in time, you're going to experience pain and sadness. You're going to have some hurt in the process. But yet, God desires that of you and me. God desires us to be moved into action because we opened our heart to somebody. As vulnerable or uncomfortable or inopportune that situation may be. That's what God wants to do. God wants to open our hearts and be pricked by the circumstance people are dealing with. To be pricked by the needs of others. But that needs to come, though, from motives that are sincere. That needs to come from a heart that is genuine. That needs to come from a spirit and attitude that is generous. And Paul kind of addresses that somewhat in his second epistle to the Corinthians when he's talking about a particular gift, a contribution that they had agreed that they're going to participate in. They're going to, be, they're going to have fellowship in this opportunity. And so he's writing about that and saying, hey, yeah, and get ready for this. But notice some of the things that Paul addresses when it comes to the idea of the attitude behind it. It's not just the gift itself. That's important. But it's the heart behind the gift that perhaps is even more important. And so he says in the eighth chapter, in verse eight and nine, he says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others, and then listen, the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that. That he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Isn't that interesting? He uses that example as the motivation behind their gift and the attitude of that gift. He says, look to Jesus, look to the compassion of Jesus, look to the love of your Lord and Savior. What did he do? He was rich and he gave it all up. He sold all in a sense, to enrich us. It is that example that he uses to try to instill in the saints of Corinth to be ready to fulfill their, their, their promise of this gift, but yet he said, but he wants it to be one of sincerity, a sincere love of others. That is also brought out as well when you look, turn over to chapter 9, where it talks there in verse 5. He says, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they go on ahead to you, arrange the beforehand, your previous promised bountiful gift. So I say, so they had already agreed that we want to participate in this. You know, we want to, you know, we want to help others. And so that's about to come to fruition. He warns them, he says, you know, I don't want you to be affected by covetousness at the end of verse 5. But then in verse 6, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows boundlessly will also reap boundlessly. Each one, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's honing in not just on what the gift is or how much the gift is, but he's honing in on the heart of the gift. Because it's out of the heart that genuine benevolence grows. 
But it also needs to be a heart of faith, not just love. Yes, faith is the conviction that God is. And faith is the conviction that Jesus is the Son of God. And faith is the conviction that the Bible is the inspired word of our creator. And everything in it is vitally important to our eternity. But also faith is a reliance. A reliance on the one who promises to provide for you and me. Yes, it's conviction in God and in all that he's done and promises to us. But faith is also a living reliance in him who says, I will take care of you. I will provide for you physically, but also I will provide for you spiritually. And you think about that. Having received God's daily provisions, faith is demonstrated one One way faith is demonstrated is when we share our warmth, when we share our fullness with others. James 2, James 2, that second half of that chapter, you know, concentrates a lot on what faith is and what faith does. And one of the examples that it uses is is this idea of benevolence, a disposition of goodwill and charitableness to others because you have a heart of love and a heart of faith. And so in James chapter 2, there in verse 14, he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? And then he illustrates it with this first example, verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, so here's an opportunity, here's a need. He says, if a brother is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warned, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? He's saying, don't say nice words. No, that's not the point. The point is, words alone don't fulfill the need. That's the point. And he says, demonstrate your faith. How? By, by sharing what you have with others who are lacking. The thing is, a man of faith knows. He's going back to the idea of reliance. A man of faith knows He knows that he will not go lacking because he generously enriches others. A man of faith knows that. He will not go lacking if he is generously enriching others. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when he's addressing the heart of this gift to our brethren in Corinth, But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, listen to what it says. In verse 7, he just said, okay, each one must give as he's purposed in the heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion. Once again, hitting at the heart of the matter. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then listen to what he says. And God is able. Do you believe that? God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that always having all sufficiency 
in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. He's challenging them. He's basically saying, do you have the faith to believe that God's going to take care of you no matter how much you give to somebody else? That God will bless you. God will provide with you. Now, the Holy Spirit says God is able. He's able to make all grace abound. And the idea of grace here, the favor here, it has, has to do with this idea of the gift, providing them you know, for their needs so they in turn they can help others even later on. In verse 9, he's, as it is written, he scattered abroad and he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, speaking uh, of God. And in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. You know, God created seed. God created seed. And what do we do? Most of us go to the store and we buy the products and we are fed. The one who has created and provided and sustained this globe and life that we enjoy will supply you, will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. A spirit of benevolence is, is a heart matter. Do we have a heart of love? Do we have a heart of faith to do it? And you go back to the, you know, Galatians 6 or James 1, we have instruction to us as Christians, you know, to have that kind of heart and, to, and be touching people's lives with that charitableness and that goodwill. Do we have the heart to do it? And do so without compulsion, without grudging, but cheerfully and joyfully. But the Lord's teaching does give us some insight into how we need to be careful, though, when it comes to you know, our good deeds. We need to be doing this, but watch out. There are some, there are some things that we as human, human beings can wrestle with from, from time, to time to time, and we just got to be aware of that, and we got to be able to look in the mirror and see where we're struggling and where we need to make some changes to get our heart back where it needs to be. In Matthew chapter 6, you're familiar with this particular passage in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, where it talks about you know, Jesus instructing them you know, in regard to charitable things, you know, the idea of giving alms, he says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He goes on and says, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet. And so he's warning here, he's warning them about pride. He's warning about pride. And so the Lord's giving us some insight. Be careful. You know, being charitable sometimes can become a hidden snare if we're not careful. And so charitable deeds are not to be a source of pride for ourselves. It's a way to serve God. It's a way to serve others. It's a way to glorify God by reflecting Jesus in our daily life. But the point here is beware of that temptation, the temptation to broadcast your own good works. Is there is anything wrong for people to find out the good things you've done? Of course not. 
you know. Yeah, but just don't boast about it. Don't brag about it. Don't, don't allow it to become a prideful thing because that, that is not what God wants. That's not what he wants of us. Another thought. Over in Matthew 19, you know, there is this you know, issue of materialism. It's interesting how sometimes the very thing that we need to do is we need to cut ourselves from the things that we're attached to. And so here enough, sure enough, here you've got this young, rich man who seems to have a sincere heart. He wants to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And when, he, when the rubber meets the road, he can't do it. Or he's unwilling to do it, let me should say. He walks away from Jesus. Interesting Jesus knew this man's heart, and he knew what the problem was. And the problem, he said, what you need to do is you need to develop an extremely generous heart of benevolence. That's what you need to do. You need to sell your, you know, sell your stuff, and you need to start sharing it with the poor. That's what you need to do. That's what he needed to do. Your life does not consist of our possessions, and we know that. But it's so easy to get, to get caught up with our possessions, you know, to get kid up, to get caught up with, you know, caught up with what we have, and think, how can I not have this? And so our closets and are cluttered. You know, you, you think about how, you know, how, you know, maybe okay, we spring cleaning, we clean it out, and then within the year, you know, we've we bought more stuff that we, you know, that we might use and we might wear once, you know, and and because we have been, in a sense, as Americans, we've been brainwashed to be you know, consumers that are never satisfied. But benevolence can actually become an avenue to help you be spiritually focused. The fact that you will not let your love be money, and so you're going to conquer any tendency of covetousness, any tendency to cling to your possessions as if this is what defines your life. And so benevolence can become a way of helping you fight materialism. It's not always easy for some of us. But it might be the very thing we need to do. Also, when it comes to the, the idea of charitableness, a gift, it's really more about the sacrifice and not about the amount. In Luke 21, you're familiar with this occasion. Jesus is in the temple uh, grounds, and he's, and he's observing people making their contributions. And as he observes that, he notices particularly one person that just kind of stands out far above all the others on that particular day. And it was a widow, a widow who doesn't have very much. And yet when Jesus saw what the widow put in, it is then he turns and says to those around him, this poor widow put in more than all of them. 
For they out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. This poor widow did not just give from her pocketbook. This poor widow gave from her heart. And why is that? It's because she loved the Lord. That's why. But also more than just that, she loved the Lord and she trusted the Lord. Because Jesus knew she put in her last two coins. She put it in all that she had to live on. She was a living example of the petition. Give me this day my daily bread. She had the benevolent spirit. She had the heart of love and faith, was able to give because she loved the Lord and she trusted the Lord. Where, where's her next meal going to come from? We're not told, and I don't think she knew either. But she served because she truly served God. Another you know, thought to consider is over in John 12, John 12, where you've got this gift of a very costly ointment or perfume. It's the occasion in John 12 when Mary comes to anoint Jesus and Jesus explains to us that it was in preparation for his burial. But anyway, so here they are. They are you know, in Bethany, and they are at Lazarus you know, and Martha and Mary's house. And, and they, there they are. They are reclining at the table, enjoying their meal. And that's when Mary comes in with a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. How many of you wives want to wipe your hair on your husband's feet after work, walking outside barefoot all day? But that's what she does. She wipes his feet, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, Judas Iscariot has a comment about this, and it's, it's insightful about his heart. And so, we, you know, we kind of see the progression of Judas's apostasy, his falling away from his Lord. And he asks, you know, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? And so Jesus responds to that and basically rebukes Judas and says in verse 7, let her alone so that she may keep it to the, you know, he says, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my bear. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Mary gave from her heart. She has this very expensive, you know, ointment, this perfume, and she chooses she chooses to use this expensive oil on Jesus that was her choice 
And in the world, there are constant opportunities, sometimes of unlimited uh, 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 you know, opportunities. But just because you, the way you choose to show benevolence, to show care and love in this, such as Mary, it's no less of value just because you didn't use it to affect more people. She used this ointment for Jesus alone, but it was out of a heart of love and faith. And it was an act of kindness and charitableness and goodwill and love. And so it's not about meeting other people's expectations. Even though Judas says that, but we know Judas's heart because we have the whole story. And so think about that. Think about just some of the lessons that are found in the scriptures that Jesus gives us insight into the kind of heart he wants us to have when it comes to be charitable, showing goodwill, you know, living your compassion, imitating Christ's compassion in your daily life. Last one, and the lesson will be yours, and that is, you know, benevolence on earth or the whether you're showing it or not showing it has consequences you know what we do in this life is connected to our allegiance what we do in this life is to connect to our allegiance in matthew chapter 25 you've got that judgment scene where you know you know mankind is standing for jesus christ and jesus you know says to those on his right he says, come, you know, blessed are you of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, because I was hungry, and I was thirsty, and I was naked, and I was in prison, and I was sick, and you did all these things for me. And they answered, well, when did we see you in that condition and do that for you, Jesus? And he says, you know, he says when, in verse 40, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. The subject of benevolence is of internal value. Yes, it's something that we do today, but it has eternal consequences. And you think about the simple things that Jesus says here, you know, feeding someone who's hungry, giving somebody a drink who's thirsty, clothing someone when they're naked, visiting when they're sick, visiting when they're prison. It's not like, it, it, the point here is, here is a moment in time that you did something that in, in, in maybe one sense is a small act. You saw someone needed some clothes and you clothed them that day. And Jesus says, you did it for me. They were hungry that day, and you gave them a meal that day. Do you have to feed the entire world? No. But you have to grasp the opportunities that come your way. Use the blessings that God has given you and enrich other people's lives because you have been enriched by God. There's much more that you, know, you could consider when I think about this idea of trying to cultivate the kind of spirit that is truly emulated by the compassion of Jesus Christ. 
He came to serve, and that's what he did. Every day on earth, he served others. And that's what we're called to do as well. And one way we do that is by cultivating this attitude where we are moved to act in a merciful way and do for others in what you can do on that day. The greatest gift, though, is Jesus himself. That's the greatest act of love. He just didn't heal someone and then, or just feed them. No, in the end, what he did, he died for everybody. Because the greatest hurt is not physical. The greatest sorrow and the greatest griefs are not physical, they're spiritual. And Jesus gave himself for you and for me. So what are you gonna do with that gift? How are you gonna respond to the gift that Jesus has given you? Do you believe him? Do you believe Jesus to be the son of God? If you do, and you believe that with all your heart, and you believe that he died on Calvary's cross for your sins and was raised on the third day, but you've not submitted to him yet, made him your Lord, made him your king, made him your savior, then we want to encourage you to do that tonight, to come to him and to taste of the mercy that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. To call upon the name of the Lord in faith, in obedience, confessing that faith before others, repenting your sins, and being buried with Christ in baptism. To be raised and walk a new life with Jesus and for Jesus. If you are a Christian and there's sin in your life that you've not repented of, that you've not confessed, that you've not prayed to God about, if we can help you to make your life right with your Father... And with your Savior, we invite you to please come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.